Welcome to Identity Talk, a show dedicated to unearthing stories about compelling people, doing compelling things, and making compelling discoveries about who they are. I'm Jana Lopez, your hostess. Each episode of Identity Talk, you'll discover illuminating conversations with guests from all walks of life. My life's mission as a book coach, writing guide, and retreat leader is to guide people like you towards clarity and connection through writing. I blend experience and intuition to take your writing to unimaginable results in your creativity and productivity. I offer private and small group retreats in stunning Santa Fe, New Mexico. I'm the published author of the acclaimed book, Me, My Selfie, and I. If it's time to unearth your own stories, write that book and need clarity, guidance, or support, visit JanaLopez.com. And now, let the unearthing of stories begin on Identity Talk with Jana Lopez. Welcome to Identity Talk with Jana Lopez. And I'm so happy that you can hear me today because today's topic has to do with going from being a hearing impaired, nearly almost fully deaf person to getting cochlear implants and spending what was about two years or so learning how to hear again. And my guest is Phil Raley. And he is somebody I've known for, I don't know, over 10 years. I can't, I can't even think about how long and how he and I know each other is from a very different walk of life. It's from the tequila world. And yes, there is. A tequila world. Uh, there's a group of us enthusiasts that travel all over the country to go to these events and these parties and these gatherings to sip delicious tequila. And that's how I met Phil and his beautiful wife, Leah. And so we become friends. And when I first met Phil, he really couldn't hear me. He didn't hear, he didn't know my voice. He didn't know who I was. He was I want to say you were 90% deaf. Is that correct? Uh, by that time, so on my left side, I was 100%. On my right side, I was probably somewhere in the vicinity of about 70 Okay. Deaf. So things were a blob and a blur and a just a, like, what was it? What did you hear? I don't even want to put words in your mouth. What was it that you it, heard at that 70 hard. and, Yeah. It's actually hard to describe the whole thing, but like there's a difference between hearing and understanding, right? So I can hear to know that you were speaking, people are speaking, but actually understanding what's being said was the difficult part. So I, I would rely very much on lip reading. So back when I met you, which by the way, was probably 2012 Denton Fest was when we first met. So talking in that big, area with a lot of folks and everything uh, it was really relying on the lip reading so you're probably right for the most part i wasn't hearing your voice understanding your voice it was relying on what your lips facial expressions and such yeah that's so that's so much 
uh, inadvertent sound coming through in so many different ways through gestures and facial expressions, through the way the words of a mouth are being formed and a lifetime of learning on relying upon those cues to get through and all the things we take for granted, talking on the phone. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like you said, if Leah was in the kitchen and her and your daughter would say something or talk behind your back. <laughs> so do all the time. <laughs> they could get away with it. But uh, let's let's just start with how how did you lose your hearing and what was life like as being mostly deaf, hearing impaired? So I, I lost my hearing when I was nine. So for the record, I'm 52 now. So I lost my hearing when I was nine years old. Uh, I was born with Hirschsprung's disease, right? So it's basically a very rare disease that affects your intestinal organs. And um, I had my 27th or thereabouts surgery uh, at the age of nine. Mm-hmm. And this one, they almost lost me, right? So I said, lost me, almost died. And they provided me with antibiotics known as mycin uh, through IVs. Uh, to help bring me back and get rid of the infections that was causing the issues for me. And mycin actually causes nerve damage to your ears. Um, but I wasn't being monitored. And I was in the hospital for about six months. Uh, I had gone home and no hearing test up until that point, even though they had been giving me these antibiotics. And it was one day that I was listening to the TV. Um, and I'll think back with the big box TVs, you know, <laughs> And I was sitting probably about uh, three feet away from the TV at that. And I kept raising the volume. And my mother uh, yelled out to me, uh, Philip, the way she would. And she said, what's wrong? And um, I finally heard her. I turned around. I said, Mom, I I can't hear the TV. And I had it really loud. And that just like set off light bulbs for her. So they took me in for a hearing test. And ultimately, when they tested my hearing at that point, my left side was entirely gone. Uh, I've had probably what would amount to one or 2% of hearing, like very, very, very uh, low frequencies that would hit. And then my right side was somewhere in the 40 to 50% of a loss. Um, So they fitted me with a hearing aid on my right side. And for my left side, they didn't bother doing anything because there wasn't enough of hearing there to pick up sounds. So that's really how I lost my hearing. And that was the start. But the good thing, bad thing of the whole thing was I had hearing until I was nine. So that's why I did have speech. I did have understanding, comprehension and so forth at that point. Do you remember, was the TV one of the last things you recall hearing? It's the last thought in my head. It was one of those, you know, I guess you would say with everything else that went on in my life, it was one of the most traumatic aspects. Um, I could still hear things like um, I went to Catholic school. So in Catholic school, they taught, taught you how to play the recorder, uh, recorder, sorry, um, that, you know, really annoying instrument. So I remember hearing that. Hot cross buns. Of- Hot cross buns. <laughs> <laughs> and I had a lot of trouble with that. And I actually, unfortunately, had a very bad teacher that did not know of my hearing loss. And she wanted to know what was wrong with me because I wasn't able to pick up the recorder. Um, and I told her that she asked me if I was deaf <laughs> and she wasn't saying it in a nice way. And I said, yes, actually I am. And I just like set her aghast that she couldn't believe that. Um, so that was some of the last memories I had of some hearing. Um, 
I can't tell you what it was like before actually losing it. Um, I don't remember to that point of, you know, normal hearing, no hearing loss type of thing. So as you go through your life and you recognize as a kid, you know, you can't hear anymore. What kinds of things would you think about? Would you imagine sound being or how did you feel about your place in the world and your relationship to the world without being able to hear it? It was kind of twofold. I guess one was um, I would feel excluded from a lot of things, but then also it taught me to prepare and how to prepare better. Um, so I, I was very good student. And again, like I said, I went to Catholic school, so I was in smaller environments and I was very intelligent. So I was able to keep up. I had very strong parents that got me tutors uh, whenever I needed them. Um, so I kept my grades up and I did good in that area. Um, but I knew in one way that I was missing out on a lot of what other kids were doing. Um, but I didn't let things stop me. Uh, that was the biggest part for me is if somebody would tell me I couldn't do something, I would do it and I would prove them wrong. Um, but it took a lot of uh, preparation and a lot of willpower to get through. Um, you asked about imagining sounds. I, I can remember times, and even recently, you know, before I started getting my hearing back, imagining how something sounded in my own head. Uh, it may have been totally off, but it's like what I would think that that sound was. Or how Give me sounded. an example of something that you imagined, you might have imagined. Probably one of the things is like what I hear today, birds, birds singing, and what the birds sounded like. Um, trying to understand that low, the uh, high pitch sound that they make. Um, so I would imagine the different birds and how they sounded and differentiating them. And now I can do that. Back, back when I was a kid, no clue, no way I could do that. Yeah, and you said preparing. So give me an example of something that you might have wanted to have done, but you would have to prepare more or differently for. So a perfect example is I actually played football in high school um, and being able to play football. First of all, my mother didn't want me to. Um, doctors didn't want me to because <laughs> if I would get hit in the head, uh, it could cause more damage. Um, but I insisted that I was going to do it. So I would go and work with the coach off to the side all the time, uh, learning the playbook as much as I could, um, working on hand signals so I can uh, have the quarterback communicate with me. So I was a tight end in high school and they would work on some hand signals to show me what the play was going to be and making sure I would get it because sometimes you can't read their lips when you're in a huddle. Um, so it was a lot of preparation in advance just to be able to go into a practice or go into a game. So I, in essence, I would practice before a practice in a sense and be make sure I'm ready to go where everybody else could just jump into it and do it. So that was, I guess, cool about your parents. I mean, I, I wouldn't even want my kid to play it in a, in a non, you know, without it, without difficulty or challenge, uh, because football can be a very brutal sport. And that was nice that your coach and your teammates were willing to 
help you out. Yeah, they worked with me. Um, mom would not let me wrestle. I wanted to go into wrestling. Most football players in uh, off season were going into wrestling. And I said, okay, I'm going into wrestling. And they're like, no way. And I fought it and fought it. And I said, no way, you're not. There's no way you're doing that. So that was one thing I couldn't do. But my mom and my dad too, they were both very supportive of me and for me and anything I wanted to do. They usually would back me up on it. So fast forward then, what happened um, in high school? It was about adaptation and, and working harder and trying to figure out how to navigate to do most things that most people could do. And then what happened after high school? So after high school, um, I actually drove a truck for a while. Um, didn't want to go to college. I wanted to go to college, but I didn't want to go to college both at the same time if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And um, I started, my father was a truck driver. So I started working at the company he worked for and driving a truck, making deliveries around New York City, making good money, you know, 18 years old. And I thought this was great. Uh, but then there was a point in time when I started to realize, okay, this, I want more than this. And um, it was one time I was working with my dad specifically. And I told him that I was going to give up the job and I was going to go to community college. And my dad actually wasn't very happy about it. He was all about making money. And um, I did the unfortunate thing and told my dad uh, at the time, I said, well, I want to be more than just a truck driver. I want more. And he kind of got offended by that. But I really did. And I took that time to learn that lesson. Um, So I went to community college and started out there, which was a better fit for me. Uh, Did that for about a year. And then um, I had applied to William Patterson College, which was in New Jersey. And they had a football team. And I had aspirations in my head because I played uh, softball, JV softball. And the coach of the softball team had just become the coach of the football team at William Patterson for the Pioneers. And I was talking to him and he said, why don't you come to William Patterson and come out on my team? I was like, really? And they're division three. And I was okay, you know, I'll do that. And I told my mom, I said, I'm going to go to William Patterson College. So I applied and I got accepted and uh, I had a tryout and I made the team. So I play college football, Um, but I pretty much focus just on the football. So when I talk about preparing in advance, college was very, very difficult when you uh, have a hearing impairment and I don't like to ask for help. I don't like to get the support that you can get when you have a disability or a handicap. I like to do things on my own and that was my mistake. So I struggled mightily at William Patterson and the big auditoriums uh, just really couldn't hack it. Uh, so I stayed at the school for about a year and a half, and then I dropped out. So I got my associate's degree, but I never got my bachelor's until my 30s. And I'll wait until you fast forward to that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you had it in your head at that point, and in your sense of self and your identity, you were somebody who had this disability. You were somebody who was always going to be a non-hearing person. That's true. I did. Um, I never looked at it as a disability, though. I never treated it that way. Um, Because like I said, I I never wanted to be treated that way. So I didn't hang out with other kids with hearing losses. I didn't know them. Um, I met one kid when I was young that uh, had a hearing loss. And I actually said it was as annoying as could be. Um, My mom said, yeah, well, that's pretty much what you are. (laughs) So saying kind of like a mirror up to yourself type of deal. so, I, so when you say disabilities, we say handicap. I never looked at myself that way. I was as same as everybody else. So then, how did you get your appreciation for music? Because I know 
music has always been a big deal for you. And so how did you go about listening or learning in your way to listen to music? What was that all about? So uh, when I was young, I was very much a headbanger, right? So it was all about heavy metal. So it was pretty much the hardest music you could listen to um, because of the beat. So I could feel the beat. I, I, I would hear it from that, my right ear that still had the hearing. I could hear the, the music, the drums. And that was one of the favorite things that I loved back then. So percussion, right? You know, the drums uh, couldn't pick up guitar too much. But listening to heavy metal music, I never understood the lyrics. Um, and it was actually at one point I was listening to um, Grim Reaper and um, my friend borrowed my tape. And when he borrowed my tape, his mom had heard the lyrics and he got in a lot of trouble for having the Grim Reaper tape. And he said, <laughs> well, it's Phillips. <laughs> so, so his mother spoke to my mother and said, how can you son let your son listen to the stuff? And my mom said, well, my son can't understand the lyrics, so it's fine. He has no idea what the lyrics are. I'm just listening to the music. So I had an appreciation for instruments, right? Not necessarily music as I'm understanding today, lyrics and such. Uh, yeah. More into all the hard stuff. So then we'll, we'll fast forward yet again. And uh, let's talk about what was dating and relationships and having relationships if you didn't want to see yourself as somebody that was hearing impaired necessarily or without a disadvantage or a disability then how did you mingle how are you single and mingling you know how are you <laughs> able to go around the world uh, in your own world and and connect with people and have conversations and you know and date and all that stuff like how did you go about that Looking back, I mean, I was actually, I actually did pretty good. <laughs> well, I look back now, but I had a girlfriend uh, in high school, Liz. Um, we started dating when she was 14, I was 15. So I actually ended up marrying her uh, at 21. So she was my first true love, high school sweetheart and everything. Um, very understanding. And girls did like me. And that was the nice thing, which again, why I say, you know, I, I, I didn't look at upon a hearing loss as me being anything special. And uh, Liz kind of tricked me into going out with her, uh, telling me we were going to go see a movie, Police Academy, with a bunch of friends. And then we show up over by the movie theater. And it was just her. And she said that her friends couldn't make it. I'm like, OK. But then we ended up hitting it off. And um, she was just a very understanding girl, uh, to be honest. Um, kind of like Leah, as you know her. Um, they're just under, I've always managed to find these understanding women uh, where the hearing impairment didn't bother them, didn't mean anything to them. Um, they were just fully accepting. So there's really nothing special in that regard. And, and then playing football also helped get girls, you know, so go to college <laughs> and everything. So I, I had to be careful because like I said, I was with Liz pretty much the whole time, but I had a, girls coming after me. Um, it wasn't until after we divorced that life got interesting at 25 for how things would be. <laughs> okay, so, and? <laughs> <laughs> so I got divorced and I left New Jersey and I moved to Florida um, and got a job uh, working in computers. That's what I do today, right? So I work in computers and I ended up, uh, a woman that was there, Dawn, that was an accountant, um, said she had a friend that was coming in from North Carolina and was wondering if I go out on a double date with them. So I said, sure. And again, very understanding woman. She didn't care anything about hearing impairment, you know, nothing like that. Um, 
So we hit it off and we were good. And unfortunately that ended up being wife number two. <laughs> so I'm disclosing a lot on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's um, okay. I mean, you know, and it's, I mean, that's life. That's relationships. Right. That's the way things go. But you ask like, you know, from the, the mingling and the communication, a lot of what I did, and if I really, if I'm honest with myself about it all, and, and I've been doing a lot of thinking about it now that I have hearing, looking back, is, you know, the term fake it until you make it. Yeah. So there was a lot of faking that went on uh, as far as the understanding. So if you, if you talk to a hearing impaired person and you watch them, there's a lot of times when you'll get just some nods, you'll get a smile, you'll get, you'll get a yes when it should have been a no type of deal. Um, I did a lot of that. So I, now I realize how much I actually missed out on, how much I really did have to fake things. Um, but I will say a lot of my faking worked in my favor, you know, where I am today and what I've done, I, you know, it was that preparation, but it was also just trying to learn people's facial expressions and um, reading the lips. And if, if it was today where I am and you haven't gotten to that point yet, but with the pandemic and the mask wearing, a totally different world and i and i have huge sympathy for anybody with hearing impairments and deafness when they have to deal with somebody wearing a mask yeah we'll definitely talk about that because there's so much there too and in the learning how to learn again in some ways right i mean I, and i think about just how people communicate and reading people's faces and their gestures you're probably a a master, uh, you're probably like a, you know, a professor of facial expressions. You could probably pick somebody out across the room and know what they were feeling or thinking. In a lot of ways, yes, that's the case. And then you could also fool somebody really easy with that too, right? <laughs> if you know. So, so it's like, you know, when somebody laughs at, at something and you just follow that laugh, but you don't really know what they're laughing at. So <clears throat> that's almost like you're saying somebody from across the room. So you can pretty much imagine and that's what I would do too. I would imagine in my mind seeing somebody from across the room. It's almost like that people watching thing that people like to do. You're watching somebody and imagine what they're saying and what they're doing. And that's what a lot of the life was uh, being hard of hearing. And, and just for the record, what it is, is profoundly hard of hearing was what the um, area that I landed into. And so I wasn't deaf and I wasn't just hearing impaired. I was profoundly hard of hearing as, I, as they would call it. So when was the talk and availability of having a potential surgery and explain a little bit about what cochlear implants do and who's eligible? Um, because there's so much intricate nervous uh, system. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The way it's mapped out in your brain, the way the nerves mm -hmm. are and the way everything coincides is this very extensive labyrinth of stuff to make sound happen. I did a thesis and it was based on sound as memory. And I wrote a lot about how sounds become embedded and in part of your psychic psyche, you know, your mm -hmm. ego, your experiences, and that a lot of our memories are embedded in sound. So I did a lot of research. Sound is very complicated in terms of how it happens. So at what point did you know that you might be eligible and explain a little bit about the cochlear implant process and how old were you? Cause I know it wasn't that long ago. <laughs> right. So, so the, 
first being eligible actually goes back to probably in my 20s. Because like I said, with the amount of hearing that I had, that I lost, I was eligible for it early on. Um, I think I, and I'm no expert in this area of the actual scientific aspects of it, but I believe cochlear implants came out sometime in the 60s. Um, and then of course they've improved the technology over time. So now for me, when I was in my 20s, there was 1990 something. Um, so back then I was, I was kind of eligible. I had a doctor mention it to me, um, but it was head surgery. And that's what I always see, head surgery. And I was like, no. And again, I was getting by. I still had the hearing in my right ear and I was using my hearing aid and I was managing, I was married, I was working, all that type of stuff. So I kind of said no, but I always kept it in my mind that, well, I had a doctor tell me I was eligible. And probably I got into my 30s and it came up again. I would have uh, different audiologists ask me if I've thought about cochlear implants. Um, I had um, different doctors mentioned it to me again. And again, I was thinking no, and I, I had every excuse. And mostly what I relied on was the surgery. And I never looked into the technology a whole lot. And I was very concerned with the surgery because now, I have, as I said before, by the time I was age nine, I had 27 surgeries. I didn't want to have any more surgeries. And then to do it with the head. And then you hear horror stories. You hear things like, well, you lose the um, nerves in your face. You lose sense of taste. Uh, it caused brain damage, all these different things. So I never wanted to do it. Um, but me in my thirties and then my forties, I was slowly starting to face down the fact that there was going to be a day when I am actually deaf because during that entire period from the age of nine, that 50% I had on my right side was now becoming 40% and 30% and 20%, right? To when I finally got my implants, I was actually down to 7% hearing um, and I was still functioning, right? So I was still faking a lot of things. Um, so finally, I started getting very, very serious about it when I joined CrossFit which I did eight years ago now. And I, there's a, always a tie-in and somebody that does CrossFit can always find a way to talk about CrossFit. Right. <laughs> Hear that Chris Maxwell? Like... <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Chris. Yeah. <laughs> Mutual Chris. friend of ours, yes, who also CrossFits. Uh, so the reason was when there was uh, an audiologist that was at CrossFit and he and I actually crossed paths years before that and I had forgotten about him. And when I started at the gym, he had the hearing aids and he was talking to me about, have you considered going for cochlear implants? And I said the same story, I'm eligible, but I really don't want to. And I would talk to him more and more. Then there was actually another CrossFitter that she actually worked for the company known as MedEl, M-E-D-E-L. Uh, they're a German company that makes cochlear implants and the processors, which is ultimately what I decided to go with. Uh, talking to her, she was telling me more and more about cochlear implants and what it entails. And she recommended me to a doctor at UNC known as Dr. Pillsbury. Um, so that got me thinking, right? And, you know, when you look at, you know, the universe and the alignment of things and how things matter, I, I'm starting to hear all this stuff about cochlear implants. And meanwhile, again, I know my hearing is getting worse and worse and I'm getting scared. I'm worried what my life is going to be like when I'm older, what's going to happen to me when I'm in my 60s and 70s. Um, so I finally uh, set up a consultation with Dr. Pillsbury. Um, he's a, actually a world renowned surgeon. He's now retired, so I caught him just before his retirement, but he did about 3000 of the cochlear implant surgeries. Um, I sat down with him, had a consultation. He does not have the best, 
bedside manners, uh, but he's very straightforward. And we talked about it. And what I had said at the time was that I wanted to, to do the surgery on my left side, the side that I had no hearing. And I had no hearing in that side for 40 years. And he said, no way, not doing it. And I said, why? And he said, it's not gonna work. He said, think of it as taking an old car that sat around for 40 years, and then you wanna just go and crank it up and think it's gonna run. It's not gonna do any good. But if they did the surgery on my right side, I stood the chance of losing that very little bit of hearing I had left. So I said, no way, I'm not doing this. I, I can't take that chance. So I went to Duke, which is like, you know, the competitor, right, for UNC. And I said, I'm getting a second opinion. And I went to Duke. And when I met with the doctor at Duke, she said there's different uh, schools of thought. Um, one is work on the bad side and see what happens. Or work on the good side and know it's going to work. And she said, if you come here, I'll work on the good, I'll work on your bad side, I'll do the left side. So I was like, okay. But I looked into this doctor more and she hadn't done as many surgeries. She wasn't as known and stuff. So I was leery. So I said, I'm gonna give Dr. Pillsbury one more shot. And I went back to him and I, I told him, I said, I'll get it done, but I want you to do my left side. And I just got a second opinion on Duke and he'll do it. So his exact words to me was fine, I'll do it. But when it doesn't work, do not come back to me crying and complaining. <laughs> I said, deal. So he does the surgery on my left side. Okay, well, tell me what the surgery entails. Surgery is basically um, they do a small incision behind your ear and they kind of peel back the skin. And then they go and take a magnet and insert it into your skull. And <laughs> so you can get the graphics of all that. And then what they do is they take a, an electrode array which um, goes around inside the cochlear, right? So the cochlear is like that seashell shaped curved inner ear part. And they take that electrode and feed it through. And then that connects to the magnet. And that ultimately is how you hear from that side. And then they take a device um, that they put on the outside, which is basically like a larger hearing aid, uh, which I'm wearing now, but obviously we're on a podcast so people won't see, but it goes behind my ear and then has a small wire that comes up and it attaches to a magnet on the outside and that magnet hits the magnet that's inside my skull now. So if you were to feel my skull, you can feel like a small dent in there and everything, but the scar you don't see anymore. It's such a small incision, you don't see it or anything. Um, so that's basically the surgery in itself. Um, I think it takes about two or three hours. Uh, they put me under full anesthesia. I have actually read where they do it as a local anesthesia too, which I cannot imagine doing. Um, so I was under full anesthesia um, and two hours later, three hours later, whatever it was, I'm in the recovery room waking up and I have this device inside my head. So that's, that's the surgery for the most part. And then my understanding is that the real work is not necessarily in the surgery, but there's something that's called sound mapping that takes six to 12 months. It's like a therapy and there's so much involved to actually learn what it is you're hearing and to figure out where in your brain sounds come in and what they translate into. So explain a little bit about once you had the surgery, then the therapy began. That's correct. So you wait about uh, six weeks after the surgery, and then you go into the audiologist and the audiologist will fit you with the device 
that you'll be wearing. And to your point, they map it, right? So you're now, you, you actually, when you hear, you know, normal hearing, you're not actually hearing with your ears, right? And you, the sound goes through your ears, but it's your brain that's hearing. So your brain has to decipher what's being said and understand it. So that's the big part for me is that I, my brain, especially on my left side with my left ear, and uh, had to understand what's being said when it hadn't heard anything in 40 years. So um, they fit you with the device, they turn it on, and then they start doing basically little pings and, and sounds that are running through the device into your cochlear. And you feel it a lot more than you hear it when you're first starting out. But you are hearing something, but it, it comes across as a feeling. Um, and then they actually, they say like a series of words and, and what you hear and it, it's entirely robotic. Uh, people will tell you it's either Darth Vader, Daffy Duck, things like that, because it, it makes no sense at all. Um, so you're working through that process and then they will, they will have you tell them, you know, what you hear and hear when you're picking up this sound, what you're feeling and, and they literally are connecting you to a computer. So they take a wire, put it into the device and that's connected to my head. So you're sitting there attached to a computer and I have the little graphs going on the computer that can show you, you know, here's where you're picking up the sounds, here's the electrodes that are picking up the sound. And I think we have, for me, I think I have 22 electrodes inside my cochlear, but two of them didn't make it all the way in. They could not fit it all the way. So there's actually two electrodes they turn off. So I have 20 working electrodes, but they're redundant. You only need 10 of them and the other 10 are backup. So it's like 12 and 12 um, or 11 and 11, excuse me. So there'll be backups and they're redundant. So if one would go out, there's another one would still work and pick up the sound. Um, so so that's, that's the initial when I first turn you on. Um, so when people say they hear, all you're hearing is pings and beeps. You're not hearing, you're not understanding speech at all. And then it's a, and then it's a long journey of therapy uh, and different people go about it different ways. But you can listen to books online, um, some of the, uh, the industry leaders have different apps that you can use uh, that tell you like what continents are and you can watch things on your screen. And one of the easiest ways to hear is when you know what's gonna be said. So if you know the word baseball is gonna be said, you hear baseball because you understand it. So if they're showing you something, you're looking at it. But after a while, your brain starts to get, oh, wait a minute, I get that, that's baseball. Now in the future, you don't have to look at something to hear somebody saying baseball. Um, so I spent some pretty good hours. Uh, I was determined, you know, part of my determination, I was determined that this was going to work on my left side. And uh, I would listen to children's books. I actually listened to Robert Munch, different children's books on YouTube. Um, and I mean, when I say children's books, I'm talking for like three-year-olds, four-year-olds, all, all baby words. But I, I, I would listen and listen and listen um, until one day I finally actually heard and realized I was hearing. So it was very robotic, but then all of a sudden I realized the words he was saying. And literally in my head, I said, holy shit, I'm hearing this. And I started to cry. I, was I believe myself. it, I believe it. I started it. to cry. And uh, Leah, my wife was at work. So I went and texted her and I said, baby, I just heard on my left side, it's like, what? And I said, yeah, I'm listening to the books read aloud from Robert Munch. And I picked up the words. I said, I know what he was saying. And she's like, my God, that's awesome. So it, it was from there, it was just, you know, realizing this is gonna work for me. It was just a determination of 
keep doing this, keep trying. And I actually started listening to podcasts after a while, which I never did in my life. I uh, could not do that. You know, listening to the radio, people speaking meant, meant nothing. So listening to a podcast, again, nothing. Um, but then it was from there, it was just all the way up. Did you text your doctor or reach out to your doctor? Because they had told you when it doesn't work, don't come crying to me. So how was it to go with the smile on your face <laughs> and say, dude? It was fun. You, you, of course, go for follow-up appointments. So I went in for follow-up appointments and he had all my tests, right? So, cause I would go to the audiologist when they do the mappings and it was probably two or three months into it when I had a follow-up with Dr. Pillsbury and it's a teaching hospital. So he had some students with him and he was talking to me and I was hearing him on my left side and that. And, and he says, you're probably pretty pleased with yourself, aren't you? And I said, oh, hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So then he tells the students what 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 had happened and everything. So he said, yeah, Phil's got that smirk on his face because he's really pleased with himself. And I said, absolutely. So then the next words out of his mouth were, when can I do your right side? And I said, okay, when do you want to do it? And he said, well, we have to wait at least one year. So I said, I skipped the date then one year from now, boom. So he put me on the calendar so I can get my right side done so I could be bilateral. Had I not been the persistent and he asked bastard that I was, I wouldn't be bilateral. I'd have hearing on one side. Uh, and for the record, when I did my right side, I did lose the rest of my hearing. So without my processors, I am now deaf. I have no hearing. Do you keep your processors in at night? No, I go to, when I go to sleep, I take them off. Okay. So, so I have no hearing. So I rely on the, um, when I take a shower, I take them off. When I go swimming, I take them off. How is that to go from knowing you've got capacity to hearing to knowing you're going to capacity to no hearing that that you're just a you know a removal of a processor away how does that feel scary yeah it's scary because i'm 100 I'm relying on technology so so that's the really big part of it you know i always think what happens if this technology doesn't work for some reason what happens if my processors break um, I have lots of backups. So Medal did, they ran a deal when we were first getting set up. And it was basically where I got uh, two processors, three processors actually for each side. So I have six different processors. So I got a lot of exchangeability there that I could use. Uh, so that gives me some confidence, but I'm always making sure my stuff is charged because you have to charge it or your disposable batteries. So it's just, in a nutshell, I would never deny it as scary as can be. Uh, and it's not a great feeling when you take your processes off and you don't have hearing. Uh, I've heard of folks that have cochlear implants and because it's very overwhelming to hear and the sounds that come through and the noises and everything. Uh, some people just can't handle it and they take their processes off just so they don't hear. Uh, I would never do that. Uh, I want to hear what a normal hearing person hears. So if you're hearing extremely loud noise like a jet or a dump truck or whatever it might be, I can take my processes off and not hear that, but I'm not going to do that because I want to be like you, right? Same thing. You can't do it. I can't do it. So what were some of those milestone sounds you remember hearing for the first time? So besides the, uh, the book, uh, probably the milestone one for me, one of the big ones was I actually heard birds and I heard bugs. And I, I didn't know we Leo and I go for a walk and I heard bugs in the woods behind the house that we were walking. 
And I was like, what is that? And she says, what? And I said, that, but I don't know what they were, so I can't tell you what they are. And I said, well, listen. And she says, are you talking about the bugs? And I, I said, is that what it is? And she said, yeah. It's <laughs> like, wow, okay, so I can hear bugs. <laughs> I've never heard a bug in my life, um, maybe before I was nine. Um, birds, can you hear the chirping? Um, one funny story was, uh, People thought at work, they were very good, but you know, people like to joke around with me and I just being implanted. And when I talked about the noises and things that would bother you, uh, one of the managers that was there, we were in a conference room and she was eating a bag of chips, potato chips. And when she was done, she started crumbling the bag up and she was like right next to me. And I said, Paulette, stop that. She said, what? And I said, the bag, stop that. <laughs> and she knew that I had been implanted and she's like, I'm sorry, does this bother you? And she came over and started <laughs> in my ear. <laughs> yes, that bothers me, don't do that. So I would hear that, I would hear that. Um, ice, that was another one for me, ice. I could hear ice dropping in the dispensers or you're doing the ice, getting it out of the dispenser. I was very, initially it was very loud. It was very annoying. And that also goes back to the mapping, right? So when, when you're getting mapped and you have different frequencies, low and high, you, I would document everything what bothered me, what didn't, um, what I was picking up, what I wasn't. So when I go back to the audiologist, I would tell her and she would take that information and then she would process it in the computer to help change the frequencies for me. So ice wasn't so bad anymore or the crinkling of bad wasn't so bad anymore uh, because it might've been mapped a little too high that I was picking those up too easily. Uh, so there were a lot of changes there with that. And what about the tool concert? <laughs> So Let's talk about cool. the Tool concert. <laughs> so, so Tool was cool, but before Tool, I actually went to go see Marilyn Manson and Rob. Oh yeah, that's right. Was the first concert that I had after I was implanted, and that was like just really insane. I couldn't understand a single lyric whatsoever, but this sound was just like, oh my god, because this was the first concert I attended where I didn't take a, a hearing aid off. Because before I would take a hearing aid off, so I'd feel the beat, hear the beat. <clears throat> this time I left my process was on and just hearing it, it was like really loud, like tears in my eyes loud. Um, so that was my first one. Then I went to see Tool. The Tool was uh, nosebleed seats, but I was able to pick up some of the words in it and I was able to get the instruments. And that was the cool part. I would get the guitar, I would get the piano, I would get the drums, all the different things that I can pick it up and break it apart and understand what I was actually hearing at different times. So those were probably two of the earliest concerts. But the cool ones are when you go, because now I said I can hear lyrics. So um, later and I went to go see um, Sticks. And when we went to see Sticks, they're more lyrical than they are with all the loud instruments, right? So yeah. you actually hear the words to the songs and pick up the words for things that come sail away. And I love Mr. Roboto, Leo hates it, but <laughs> <laughs> she feels there's sellouts for that one. But I love it. And I, would, I was actually able to sing along to that song, knowing the lyrics and listening to it. Oh, my God. You must have been so happy. You must have uh, been so happy. It's like being a child all over again. Absolutely. A lot of this is exactly that. Yeah. And all the things we take for granted. Yes. Now, that's the big one. Not hearing people take a lot for granted. And I don't anymore. Um, just being able to do this with you, right? Being on this and talking to you, this is huge. Um, could never do this before. Um, and this is now my life, actually, what I do for work because of the pandemic, we've gone remote. So 
I spend eight to 10 hours a day on phone calls, Teams meetings, uh, WebExes, phone calls, and it requires all hearing all day long through the phone. And three years ago, four years ago, I couldn't do it. And, and I, again, universe is aligning and all that. Um, there was a reason that I was implanted when I was in 2018 and 19, and then the pandemic hit in 2020, right? Because if I had not been, I may not even be in the job I'm in now because I wouldn't be able to do it functionally. Yes, that is that is true. And do you ever get hearing exhaustion? Do you do you ever get like overwhelmed because you've heard too much in a day or when you have when you went from not hearing to just like shit, be quiet. I need quiet. I need silence. Do you ever get tired of I'm not tired of it, but like just exhaustion from it? Absolutely. <laughs> Almost every single day, honestly. <laughs> um, but yes, definitely. Where it's just, you know, I, I've had enough and I don't, it, it may not even be the hearing aspect, it's just talking aspect that I'm just exhausted with. I don't want to talk anymore. Um, but it's also having to concentrate on the hearing. Um, so that it, and it does take concentration too, right? So it's not something that always just comes perfectly natural for me. Um, just the one thing for me that we didn't touch on was I have about 75 to 80%, depending on the situation, amount of hearing now, right? That's so incredible. That's yes, incredible. It it's great, but I'm still missing somewhere in that 20 to 25%. Um, so it does take effort. It still takes some preparation on my part sometimes. Um, so a lot of that is exhausting itself. Uh, like I said, concentrating, where a lot of times you may be able to just, you know, sit back and just listen I'm actually concentrating on that listening, right? I, I can't just sit back all the time and just chill because I'll probably end up missing something. So it, it does get very tiring. What was it like to hear your wife's voice and your children's voices? So with Leah, it was, it was different because I always say I always heard her. And again, I guess you go back to the hearing versus understanding aspect. But with Leah, um, because I was with her all the time, um, we've been together 21 years, so talking to her and listening to her, I understood her. So when I got turned on, it was really nothing different. But I want to say with, with Tori, my youngest daughter, um, it was different because I would struggle to hear Tori a lot of times. So I started hearing her. And one thing I realize now is how loud my youngest daughter actually is. <laughs> <laughs> and I have to tell her to shh, quiet down. And that's the other part that I realize now, some people that I used to know, I gravitated towards certain people. And I seem to have gravitated towards people that were loud, um, New Yorkers type, right? Loud. And now that I have hearing, I realize how loud they are. And it's like, well, you know, just bring it down a couple of notches. I'm good. I can hear you. I don't need a loud voice. And that's kind of what it is with my daughter. Um, but I actually freaked Tori out one time because she was going up the stairs. And uh, we had kind of had a little bit of an argument. And she said something under her breath. And I mean, it was like literally under her breath. And I turned around and I said, I heard that. Don't you ever say that to your father again. And she was like, holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> and it kind of freaked her out. And she realized, okay, she can't do that anymore. <laughs> or be further away from me before you do that. I know. Well, it's funny because one of my favorite stories about you is uh, not only was your hearing impaired, but your speech was very different when you were hearing challenged. I mean, you definitely sounded like a deaf person, somebody who couldn't hear the way you, you enunciated words and you spoke. 
and my then husband at the time and I and you, we were all in Mexico. We were on a tequila travel tour together and I, you guys had a little bit to drink. <laughs> and so Mark was making fun of you and he was saying it was because you were drunk, not because you were deaf. And so you taught him how to sign when you had too much to drink. <laughs> you gave him the drunk signal by sign yes, language. I, <laughs> I also gave him another signal if you remember, it was something like, bitch, go away. <laughs> It was funny because he used to make fun of you in a, in a nice and friendly way about your, your speech. But then you had seen him after when you were hearing, when you came to visit us in Portland and uh, it was such a difference in just listening to you speak, how much you had been able to learn how sounds work in your own enunciation. It was quite fascinating. And that is a big thing to remember. I mean, you, you, when you speak, you're hearing yourself, but if you can't hear yourself, it's hard to enunciate, which is why a deaf person generally doesn't speak. It's not that they don't have the vocal cords, they don't know how to use them. They don't know how to make the words. Um, so I, again, I had speech up until I was nine, using my hearing and then, okay, that's why I was able to speak. But over time, uh, it, my hearing was degrading, so my speech started following with it. I, I, when I was young, I went for speech therapy, so that helped me. When I was older, though, I didn't have anything other than just relying on myself and what others would tell me. Most people never said that I sounded like I was deaf. You actually the first one to ever tell me that I actually sounded like I was deaf. Um, but I do know after I was implanted that my speech did improve. And I had my boss and some of uh, the senior leaders at my bank were telling me how much better things were, how much better I sounded. Uh, I definitely have much more volume control mm -hmm. in areas. Um, I know how to slow myself down now as well, and I can and I do enunciate better. There's once in a blue moon I'll trip over words or something, um, but I think everybody does. So that's how I kind of look at it. Like you know, I'm just like anybody else now. Yeah, that. you're definitely just like everybody else. How was it to hear your own voice? <laughs> it's weird. It still is. It's yeah. Still, yeah, I always wonder, like, what do I really sound like? Um, I still don't know. Leah says I have a deep voice, so I really don't know how I sound, but um, I don't like the sound of my voice, <laughs> the way I hear myself. It's not something I'm a fan of, so I'd be really curious to hear what I sound like on this podcast later. <laughs> yeah, no, this is going to be great. This will be great for you to be able to hear your own voice on a podcast. How cool is that? Yeah, very cool. Very cool. Considering I couldn't even listen to a podcast I know. Ago. That's so yes. cool. I wish we would have done this sooner, but I'm glad that I had the conversation with my friend and I started thinking about it. I'm like, Phil's got to be on. We got to have this conversation, but I'm really glad to hear. It kind of warms my heart to know that we're going to have a chance to give you something you haven't ever had. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. One is there any, for me is I, I want people to realize, you know, this is a great thing. And, and I actually, you know, I've become very much a champion I have always been a champion for people with disabilities, but even more so now with hearing impairment and um, working with people uh, that want to get implants, uh, but are unsure like I was, uh, I put myself out there. So I have people reaching out to me all the time, asking for input. Um, I had a couple of different friends that have friends that are deaf that wanted to get implants, but they were afraid. 
And I told them, you know, here's my information. Have them reach out to me. I'll be happy to talk to them. Uh, it's been pretty cool. You know, uh, I'd love to see that the couple of people I did talk to, they ended up getting the implants and they're doing great now. And they're just, you know, it, it's great for me to see that. And I feel like I played a little bit of a role there to be able to be the role model to help somebody out. What would you want people to know that wonder about hearing? What do you want? What would you want people to know about an experience of going from being severely hearing impaired to being almost 80% now able to hear? How would you describe that trajectory to someone who has no clue? It opens up so many different doors, uh, gives you so many different opportunities and makes you feel a part of the world again. Um, it takes away that fear. So again, going back to my fake until you make a type of deal, I would not want to get together for like we did, you know, coming to your house uh, a couple of years ago and hanging out with everybody and knowing the noisy environment and it's scary because I'm not going to hear. Um, knowing that I can socialize with people, uh, it's not so scary. Knowing that I can go to a dinner party or to a bar and be able to understand what's going on and not feeling closed off. So it opens up all those different doors, gives you the different opportunities um, that you didn't have before. Um, and it just makes you feel a part of the society. And that's the big thing for me. And I did not practice that. <laughs> no, you definitely can't practice that, but I'm glad to hear that you're able to find ways to bring that to others because it, it is it is a thing, right? It is a thing and technology, wow, you know, can you imagine what technology is able to provide? That's just mind blowing to think about what three hours in a device and technology can bring. It's fascinating. Exactly. Very cool. Well, I wanna thank Phil Rayleigh for taking time to share such a personal and interesting journey with us and i'm really excited phil you get a chance to hear yourself on this podcast that like made my day thank you jana i appreciate the opportunity really yeah and uh where can people go for information if they're interested do you is there like a one main source of a website or a source that you looked up that anybody would be benefit by um i believe one of them is uh cochlear.com C-O-C-H-L-E-A-R.com. There's information out there. Uh, Also, I mentioned the manufacturer I have, Medal. So it's medal.com. You can go out to. Um, They'll have more information about the processor and the procedures. Um, And really just in general Google searches around cochlear implants. There's videos out there. I would not watch a video before my surgery. I did not want to see that. (laughs) Uh, But you can see YouTube videos of the entire process. Um, you can also see things about the people being turned on, what the mapping is and, and what their initial sounds are, stuff like that. So all of that information is out there. That's fascinating. All right. Well, thank you everybody for listening and listen good. Life has a lot of sounds. We listen good, right? Thanks for listening to Identity Talk with Jana Lopez. If now's the time to unearth your story or you just have to write that book, 
Don't let fear or overwhelm stop you. Reach out. I'm here to help you achieve your creative writing dreams. If you've enjoyed what you've heard on this show, share it with someone you think is in need. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review this show on your favorite podcast player. Hey, reach out. Find me at janalopez.com. 